okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is just really exciting for me. I know I've been living with the idea and the dream of seeing this program come true for at least four or five years. And this is Gina Bigham, who everybody knows. Um, I will be administrating Trans Lounge. Gina will be curating the Trans Lounge. Um, we have, the website is up. You can join tonight. We're gonna have computers outside for anyone who wants to join tonight. And we're gonna have a booth tomorrow from noon to six. So we hope you'll come by, you'll sign up, you'll join Trans Lounge. And unlike other programs, this one's a little different because we want you to go and see all the classes that we offer and we want you to tell us which ones you want to attend. And we're not gonna schedule anything until you tell us that that's what you want because we have some amazing instructors and we want all their classes to be sold out and full and packed so that you all get a great class, you all meet a bunch of other trans people who are looking for education and empowerment and uh, it's, it's gonna be fucking hot. <laughs> um, so, I do want to put a call out. We are, we have about 12 workshops up, we have about three labs, we have three new groups, a coming out group, a coming out to yourself, a coming out to others, and a group for uh, trans people with HIV. Um, we are looking for instructors, and we're looking for people who want to be group facilitators. We see at least one hand here. Um, Come to me tonight, tomorrow, come to Gina. Let us know that you're interested because we not only want to be of service to the trans community, but we want, to, we want, to help, we want you, your help to do that genuinely and honestly. So that's the Trans Lounge. I hope everyone will join and it's gonna be awesome. So I wanna pass it on to Gina and she is going to start our evening. of working with for over a year and a half now. I've known him for about three years. There's really no truer ally to our community than Ruben. He's an amazing person and th as he said, this, this program is it's kind of his love note to, to all of us and I couldn't be prouder to, to be a part of this program. So can we have a little round of applause for Ruben? Um, first off, a couple of things. We are very pleased to, to announce uh, that Trans Pride this year is being sponsored by Amazon Prime. We are so thankful in the show Transparent. We thank you so much for, for the amazing generosity and being a part of this wonderful event. It's going to be fabulous. Um, they will be here tomorrow for an open casting call for um, extras for season three of Transparents. Now don't forget tomorrow, tonight is the kickoff event, um, our big queer convo. Tomorrow will be our festival. We'll open the doors at noon. We'll have over 30, I think it's 35 organizations are gonna be tabling. So we'll have a resource fair going on. We've got 
food, we've got drinks, we've got dancing, we've got everything. We're going to have a catered dinner for 400 of our closest friends, so we want you to be around for that. And basically, just spend the whole day. It's a day of celebration, because we deserve it, and our time has come. Speaking of time, I think it's time for us to have an amazing conversation. I'm going to proudly introduce someone who means the world to me. I was thinking about how is the best way to make this introduction. There's not much left to be said about this amazing person, so I thought, hmm, you know, everybody needs, in our community, all over, Everyone needs, no one deserves to have, you know, that really cool aunt. The one that's just awesome and she blows into town and, and she's got stories and she's got, she's vivacious and she's got intelligence and beauty and she's just a total package, right? Everyone needs one of those aunts. And we are so fortunate in our community that we've got one of the, not the, We've got the number one best auntie of all time. And she will always have gum for all of us. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, may I please, please have you stand, chair, shout out for the one and only, the gender outlaw, <laughs> Kate Bornstein. <laughs> in being on stage with Sandy Stone and presenting her to my family, her family that hasn't gotten to know her as well as you've gotten to know me. And everything that Gina was saying about me is how I feel about Sandy Stone. When I was first starting to come out in the 80s, I was reading about Sandy um, the first female sound engineer at Olivia Records. And this was the all-women's, pretty much all-lesbian um, record company that was starting up back, way back then. And Sandy knew it would be a problem if they had a trans woman on as their only sound engineer, but there weren't highly trained women sound engineers. So she said, well, I will join on the condition that you let me, you bring on two apprentices that I can train underneath me. And she went on to that. She's the target of America's first trans-exclusive radical feminist, Janice Raymond, um, who dragged Sandy through the mud in a book called The Transsexual Empire. 
And that was really hard. Uh, that, that was really hard. And so Sandy went sort of underground at that point, went to graduate school, got degrees, higher degrees in, in all kinds of forms of postmodern theory and communication. And 10 years, I think it was about 10 years, you can correct me, Miss Stone, uh, came out in, in response to the transsexual empire. She wrote, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Welcome, please, my mentor and great love, Sandy Stone. In, in, in this introduction was uh, who else you were sound engineer for and names just seemed to drop out of the air Jimi Hendrix, uh, Velvet Underground, um, Ultraviolet, you, you, you were right there. Can you, do you have any fun stories yeah, of those days? That was but the East Coast that included uh, Todd Rundgren and uh, I don't know, Johnny Winter, there's uh, quite a list. And then on the West Coast, when I came out here, uh, there was the Airplane and the Dead and uh, a bunch of other people as well. But none of those people had one single engineer. They all had several engineers. And uh, I was one of them. So you're waiting for me to say something else. I'm waiting for a story if you've got one. Or we can just move on to the next. <laughs> Area. All right, Jimi Hendrix stories, right? All right. Jimi, oh. Well, there's the story that everybody wants to hear, and then there are the real ones. <laughs> uh, the real ones are not necessarily pretty, because Jimi was a person, and he was caught up in a whirlwind of publicity that he did not anticipate. And that kind of publicity, particularly in England and in the United States, gets you a large coterie of followers. And uh, Jimmy had uh, an entourage. And it wasn't an entourage he wanted, but they followed him around everywhere. And uh, it happened that I knew he didn't want them. And we were working in the studio one day, and there was a large crowd of people, maybe in a control room, right? 20, maybe 30. So that's a lot of people for a control room where you normally have two or three. And we had 25, 30, something like that. And they were all partying. And they were doing cocaine off the uh, console and uh, so forth. And Jimmy was out in the studio trying to work. And um, the, the person who was his girlfriend at the time, I, I was looking dour because all these people were creating confusion in the control room. And, Jimmy was picking up on that and he was not working well, so um, his girlfriend of the time said, looked at me and realized I was being negative, and she said, do you want to keep your job? And I looked straight through the control room window at Jimmy and said, no, 
and that had the effect of stopping everybody dead in their tracks. Somebody had done something not conducive to good vibes around Jimmy. And uh, uh, they didn't know what to do after that. And I went out in the studio. I opened the studio door. We had lead in the studio door uh, to absorb the sound. And when I opened the door, Jimmy was playing like this with his back to his Marshall stack, which came up to about there on him. A Marshall stack is a, a stack of uh, guitar amplifiers, and they're very, very loud. They were so loud that when you open the door, it was like releasing a flood of water, and you had to swim into the studio. It was like pushing your way through butter. The sound was palpable. You could feel it. And I got over to him, and um, I said, moving the microphone out of the way, I said, Jimmy, would you like me to throw all these people out of the control room? And he looked in there, and he looked at me, and he said, oh, man, you know, they're, they're my friends. And I said, no, they're not. And he said, no, they're not. <laughs> and, and we kind of went on from there, and things got better. You've pretty much always been able to tell it straight, and, and yeah, you're doing it straight. You, you, you've been a straight shooter. You've been, you haven't minced words. You're a brilliant communicator. Um, when Janice Raymond came after you and said that Olivia Records shouldn't have hired you, and that uh, you're a man, and what's a man doing there? And this is typical man burrowing into lesbian space to take advantage. What? what I'm a burrower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Straight, straight shooting burrower. What, 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 how do, because now we've got trans-excluding radical feminists, and, and they're surfacing again. Do you have any advice for folks like when, when them turfs come after them? What is it like to be, uh, to be a male robot zombie programmed to destroy femininity? There you go. Well, uh, okay. Uh, first of all, I, I should mention that, uh, to go back to the beginning of this, um, this uh, Raymond's attack was not accidental. She actually planned it in stages. And her first stage failed because she didn't realize that when I agreed to work with the collective, I had told them I was trans. And they said, well, that's, I'm, we're glad you told us. But in fact, we already knew. Someone in San Francisco had already told them. We hadn't started to work together yet. So all the way along the line, they knew that I was trans. But Janice Raymond didn't know. So she first sent the collective a letter with the first chapter of, not, not the first chapter, but the, the pages that would become the chapter of the book in which she tried to uh, poke at me. And she sent it to the collective. We opened all our mail as a group. And so that got opened as a group and passed around, as it always is at meetings. Everybody read it.
And then we passed around a comment sheet for everyone to write comments on it. This is what you did with everything. Um, and people wrote things on it like, who is this nutcase? <laughs> and, uh, what, what has she got, what business does she have thinking she knows anything about our collective? Uh, and, and on and on and on like that. And one person tellingly wrote, um, what, what this appears to be about is some sort of mass extermination. If what they're talking about with regard to trans is sending people to the ovens, then why don't they just come out and say that? So that was our first indication of what would become TERFs later. And then, um, then there was, and we sent it back to her with the comments. My comment on that sheet, I commented like anybody else did. And my comment was, um, we need a book about this topic, but this is not that book, period. <laughs> and we sent that back to her in an envelope with, with a nice cover letter, you know. Dear Miss Raymond, we appreciate your submission. And, and, you know. and then the book came out later. And she had apparently been enraged by the fact that this didn't blow my cover. I didn't have a cover, so there was no way to blow it. Uh, how? Now, I'm, being old and essentially absent-minded, I forgot the question. <laughs> Advice for dealing with trans-excluding radical feminists, because they're surfacing again. Okay. I would like to be able to say that sweet reason will turn them around. But after years of experience with this, I can tell you unequivocally that it won't. So what do you do about them? You either ignore them, or you go off and organize against them, or you try to no-platform them. Try and no-platform them. What is that? Um, they're, well, that's a kind of a radical thing. I don't know if I recommend that um, <laughs> myself, but other people do. It means you deny them a platform from which to speak. Oh. Such as boycotting their talks when they come to a university to give a speech. Groups that boycotted them. Um, I usually don't approve of that because I think the more voices in these things, the better. But I am not in favor of hate speech. And what they're bringing to the table is not debate. It is hate speech. And I don't particularly want that in my backyard. And so I'm on the side of the no platformers for that, for people like Raymond. Thank you. I think so, so we figured we would go back and forth and, and ask each other questions here. So I, I want to open myself up to you, Ms. Well, I should tell you, the secret lives of Kate and Sandy. Part one. We were originally going to do a song and dance act for you. But to, the, a number of things went wrong with that. No, no, number one was Kate got stage fright. That's legitimate. Number two was I broke my foot, so I couldn't do the dance. And, and you'll notice I'm hoarse tonight. I've got some kind of allergy. I don't know what it is. So I can't hit the high notes, though. We need to hit in order to be able to do the song. So you're spared from that tonight. Um, 
want to say a couple of things. I've, I've, one of the things that I'm wondering about is, what do we do about the aging trans population? Yeah. I mean, so far, all the people that you saw, all the people you saw in, in the video, and, and it's quite understandable, because it's all the people I ever see in any videos, anywhere, are younger middle-aged. There aren't any old transies. And you'll notice, I use that word, we, we can talk about that. Oh, I want to talk about that. <laughs> I, I grew up with that word. There aren't any old people in our culture. They're completely invisible. Whether they are trans or cis, or white or black, or people of color, or anything in between, they are invisible. I have a friend who's a, an anthropologist who says that when you hit 45, you get picked up by a huge crane and you get deposited in a huge hole in the ground in Iowa. <laughs> and you get to stay there until, until 80 and then you can come back as a wise old crone if you survive that one. But what happens to you in the meantime? So here I am. I consider myself uh, an old woman and I'm an old trans woman, or maybe these days I would be considered a gender queer woman rather than full on transgendered. Um, I, I can't figure this out. I'm, I mean, I can't figure anything out right now. I mean, I wound up, you know, I, I, I started out as a guy, right? I was a nice Jewish boy from New York, like Kate, and, and, and I became a lesbian separatist. And, and I wound up in a heterosexual marriage with a wonderful guy, and I got a kid and a grandkid. So where is that? <laughs> I mean, what, what do we do now? What? And, and you're all going to go through this in one way or another, hopefully. I mean, if we have our way, you are going to go through this because our game is to wreck the boundaries and open up the possibilities. So you may find yourself... You may find yourself on this tortuous road because it's fun. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret, you're gonna like it. I mean you may be you may be having a shit time now, but if you survive, you will discover that you like it. I've been saying I've been advising, imploring, entreating people to stay alive now for quite some time. And, and I have to echo what Sandy said. Uh, you get to this point, I'm 67, and I've been through two years of chemo and radiation, and I've now spent a year completely cancer-free. But here's the deal, it was worth staying alive to be an old fart. Yes. yes, right? It really is. Um, you're going to hear, oh, you know, being old is not for sissies. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, I know some wonderful old sissies. <laughs> just, just terrific. Um, I, I do. I echo Sandy's thing. Please stay alive for this. There, there aren't many of our contemporaries uh, around from the trans world or even from LGBT world, LGB, whatever. Um, 
because of the, the plague back in the 80s uh, killed so many of our folks. Uh, the folks who would have been out and about and, and ready, to, ready to talk with everybody. They're not here. You are. Stay alive. It's going to be such a game changer when y'all get into your 60s and 70s. That's going to be a major hoot. Now, about that word, you say transy. I said I say tranny. You say transy. I say tranny. Say transy. 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 Let's call the whole thing off. You got me to do it. Well, hot damn in the cage. So, so all right. I want to situate the word tranny because I've identified as a tranny pretty much since I came out um, back in San Francisco in the late 80s. Tranny is a word started in Sydney, Australia in the 70s. Um, it came about because there were transsexuals, there were transvestites who would then call themselves cross-dressers, and there were drag queens. And they had the infighting, you know, drag queens are better than anybody. No, transsexuals are better than anyone. No, no, no. And everybody dumped on the cross-dressers. But, but, and, well, the cross-dressers, please stand up for a minute. <laughs> Yeah? Aha! Thank you, dear. Um, but ultimately, they realized, you know, this this was family. This, this was family. Transsexuals, transvestites, uh, drag queens. It was all family at that point. And so they came up with the word tranny. And they, yeah, yeah, we're all trannies in this thing together. And it was a word that was used to unify. It was a word that said, dear. It was a dear, dear word. That word came over to San Francisco in the mid-80s with Doris Fish. Doris Fish in San Francisco was my drag mom when I, when I got there. She was the premier drag queen of the city. And she brought the word over and we started using it. And, uh, at that point, Lou Sullivan was there. Lou was one of the very, very first, what we call female to male trans folks. And Jameson Green, the, the, the early trans guys, they called themselves trannies. We called them trannies. The drag queens were trannies. The cross-dressers were trannies. We, 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 we formed family around that word. And then the word got into sex. It got into sex workers who were calling themselves trannies and she-males and chicks with dicks. And we all love that shit. And then it got into tranny porn. We all love that shit. I still have a small collection of it. Good stuff. And that's where I think the problem started. Because people who were reading tranny porn, or watching it, or working with tranny sex workers, hated themselves for, for doing that. And they turned the word into a hate word. 
and I hear that, oh, how brave it is to reclaim that word. We're not reclaiming it. It was always our word. And I just want to make that very, very clear. It's a word that started with love. Now, okay, okay, I know the word upsets a lot of people. I know, it's not just a small number of people. And it triggers some people. There's a big difference between being upset and being triggered. I live with borderline personality disorder. <laughs> um, everything triggers me. Everything. My whole fucking therapy was learning how to untrigger myself. Right? And so to the people who are worried about tranny triggering people, I say, may it be the worst trigger you ever have, right? It's not a bad thing when tranny is said with love. That's just, I wanted to make that, that clear, that, that point, okay? Is that clear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got here next? Uh, monster metaphors. Monster. There have been all kinds of monster metaphors for trans folk. Um, Susan Stryker compared us to Frankenstein. And I get that, you know, we, we are. We're, we're bits and pieces sewn together and then hopefully no bad brains. Um, and you picked vampire. Explain. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for lobbing that bunch of shit right in my life. <laughs> <laughs> my, my tranny talk went over so well, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> I particularly liked the metaphor of the, uh, of the vampire because first of all, I was reading Anne Rice at the time, who was a very interesting person in her own right. And she was writing about Lestat, who was a very complicated person. And Lestat, you may recall, first of all, was in a problematic position. His problematic position interested me. He was outside of time. And he looked into time at mortals, at transients, people who lived a short while and then died. And he could bite them. And by biting them, by exchanging blood, he gave them eternal life. He took them out of time. Now, there you have uh, an interesting metaphor. Uh, you have, in, instead of having, well, all right, let's not go there. Let's go here. Um, you've got humans who are fixed in place. Our society tries to fix us in place in a number of different ways. Because society works naturally to try to fix you in place. I had a technical term for that, but uh, that, that's of no consequence here. Uh, it happens in a lot of different ways. It happens by databases that record your social security number, your address, your telephone number, your height, your weight, your skin color, your name, all of those things are ways of fixing you in place. They make sure that the government knows who you are and more importantly, where you are. 
Well, those are ways of fixing you in place in space. You have a fixed address. You have a fixed body. But you're also fixed in place in time, in that you go from day zero to day n, whatever it is, at which point you die, and that's the end of it. That's how you're fixed in time. Now here's this guy with the teeth. He has the power to free you from that, to free you from being transfixed by the arrow of time, and to take you into his world of infinite possibility, infinite life. So what about the trans vampire? The person who bites you and infects you with the power to move, not through time, but through person, through space, <laughs> through being, through identity, in different ways. And the nice thing about the vampire is that the vampire is also about infection. It's about dirt. It's about mixing. Mixing is something that our society abhors. Everything has to be very clear, very defined, very different. And what, what my vampire wants to do is knock the props out from under that, to destroy that virally through infecting you, through bringing you that dirt, that filth, that slime, of that slime that goes with no boundaries. It's a metaphor, slime and dirt. It's a metaphor for the way we go out in the world and try to change society by ending those boundaries, by making space for difference. And not just this kind of difference, but this kind of difference, smooth difference, when you can flow from one thing to another, from one identity or one episteme to another, when you can bring up some interesting, brilliant, exciting, new way of being and put it on like a skin and wear it for the day and then take it off and hang it in a closet and pick out another one and put that one on. That's what my vampire is all about. He's about that kind of change. He's about nastiness and dirtiness. And he's about being outside of time and identity. I can't take you outside of time, but I sure as hell can take you outside of identity. And so can you to anyone around you. That's what the vampire is about. Thank you. Something. We have questions here. Did you have any for me? Andy, you said you were going to ask me questions. <coughs> or, I will. Or you're not going to? I will at the right time. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, this is the right time. You think this is ice chan drinking, don't you? <laughs> I don't know what I mean. That's the MGD. Here's, we've got some questions here. Can you talk about your view on third gender pronouns? You want to take that, or you want me to start with that? You, you pick up what you like. Oh, why don't you why don't you start with that and I'll jump in. Third, third gender pronouns or or, or yeah or non-gender specific pronouns have been in use for a very long time. Back in the 1600s in English, they was third person singular and plural, um, and I like the, I like using that one now. Um, 
when I, I didn't know that back in the, the 90s um, and started writing my first book, Gender Outlaw, and started talking about, call me Z in here, because I just wanted to make trouble. <laughs> really? Um, go out and buy the book. Um, but, but back then, there was the, just the, the ARPANET was, was getting rolling, and the internet was, had just started up, and people were playing games in massive multiplayer dungeons uh, with non-gendered characters. And so they had to come up with gender-free pronouns. And there was, floating around the internet, uh, there was like a 40-page file of gender-free pronouns. It, it's not something unique to trans, but there's, there's always a, a crossover, I think, between trans and geek. <laughs> yeah, something there. The cathode ray tube did it to us all. So I like they. Now, I'll go with they. I'm, I, I've been around on just about every other pronoun there is. We've tried to use them. None of them have stuck, really. And the, it's very hard to introduce a new term into the language and get it to stick. But they works well enough, and we can change the meaning of the they sufficiently to make it to make it work for the singular as well. I heard so. I heard a twelve-year-old trans a gender queer youth explain it that they were getting. Queries go, no, we can't use they, they is plural. How could, no, no, we, they is always plural. And this young genderqueer person said, no, 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 let me explain it to you. They, I am a boy, that's one. And I am a girl, that's two. They. <laughs> So we see, we see. I'm seeing now trans happening at both ends. You were talking earlier about, you know, um, elderly, and I'm seeing it happening now, very, very young. And I just couldn't be more thrilled. What about you? Well, the nice thing about about uh, people who transition very young, like five, six, you know, that ones, is that it gives the lie very easily to the idea of, of uh, the elderly men, you know, transitioning to women, um, and, and it's, uh, uh, oh, let me do it this way. Um, there's a turf thing about uh, a, a trans woman is really a person who's been socialized as a male and, and therefore can never have female experience. All right. If, if you transition at the age of five, the odds are you haven't had very much socializing experience as a male. And uh, those people are problems for the folks who make that argument. So, uh, that's all. That was my comment on that. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> no, it is. It is. You're, you're so fucking smart. <laughs> you are. And, and I'm sapiosexual. Sapiosexual. <laughs> I know, yeah. Can I get on that too? You can. I want to lick your brain. 
I rebuilt the machine. <laughs> Wait, it's my new creation. Over here. Watch the orcs. Sorry, I couldn't resist. No, 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 no. <laughs> we, could, we could have a night of that. We're not going to have a night. Okay. Next question. Next question. Someone says, this is, oh, I like this. <laughs> this is the best day of my life. How do you feel? <laughs> hey, that was fun. Thank you very much. I like that. Okay. How about you? How do you feel? I feel capital. <laughs> and for those of you who have seen the movie, now I rip out my six guns and squeeze off a few rounds. <laughs> So wacky. <laughs> See why we wanted to do this? Okay, okay. The question from a woman in the balcony, doctor Is this the transgender problem? No. <laughs> down tomorrow night. <laughs> Next question. Oh, you want me to get it? All right, I'll get it. <laughs> Within our battles for medical coverage of transgender surgeries, why so much emphasis on bottom surgery? In this society of being judged, based upon appearance. Facial feminization should be considered a priority with breast augmentation a close second, especially for those of us who are celibate. The, tr the trouble with that last part, <laughs> hey, that, that's a very good question, but it isn't a question, it's a statement. <laughs> um, but let's deal with it anyway, because it is a good question. A good question. And I apologize <laughs> for reading it in that way. When, when I was getting going in the trans business, <laughs> all of the emphasis was on bottom surgery. You, you, they didn't even have much top surgery at that time. Well, they did, but you had to work very hard to find it. And the reason for that was the cultural emphasis on it. It had nothing to do with whether I thought that bottom surgery or top surgery was a good idea or necessary. It had to do with the cultural expectations and they change with time. So I think we can change our way out of it. I mean, the doctors who were, who were in a position to give us that surgery thought it was the only way to achieve um, gender reassignment. And, and the whole purpose, everything, all arrows, pointed, if you are male to female, all arrows pointed to bottom surgery. That was the moment of transition. And if you go and you do your homework, you look up the literature at the time, you find that very clearly in the writing, that that moment, the moment at which you have bottom surgery, is the moment of transition. 
And that there was a very binary thing. That now you mail, boing, or, or rather, ouch. <laughs> now you're female. And, and we know now that that's not true at all. And, and that what you have between your legs has very little or nothing to do with who you are, how you behave. I think this is one of the extremely positive things that's happening as a result of this transgender tipping point that we heard about a year ago. Um, and, and it's true. At first, I didn't believe that. I went, no, not really, because there's so many people for whom there's no tipping point. But when I understood how transgender had been redefined and is currently being used as the difference to the way we were using it back in the 80s and 90s, we thought it was an umbrella term. Anyone fucking with gender was transgender. That's not how it is now. Transgender is now pretty much a word that has replaced transsexual. And, and, but the great thing about it is that it includes, we used to call it uh, pre-op and post-op transsexuals or non-op transsexuals. No, transgender just means someone who's was assigned one gender at birth and is now living their life as the other gender, the other of two genders. And that's pretty Shut that much phone off. <laughs> You're good. I I was being yeah. all <laughs> Will you come up here and take the call, please? <laughs> I'm not. So now we've got the umbrella term is trans, but the great, great thing is that, no, it's not, it doesn't have to do with uh, genitalia anymore. So yeah, that could change. That could change the focus, I hope it does, on bottom surgery. Although, I, I would imagine there's always going to want to be, there's always going to be people who want bottom surgery. I sure wanted it. Uh, and I'm sure glad I had it. I'm glad you had it too. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you later. <laughs> you keep saying that. We gotta do that before we die. <laughs> And we'll charge admission for it. The idea of genitalia and the importance of genitalia and that binary moment of transition, that's put upon us by the society in which we live. That's something that we learn from birth. And there are reasons behind it, and it's, it's not just because God said whatever the hell God said. Um, it has to do, literally, with the fears of old white guys. It, it may have to do with the fears of old guys of color, too, but, but it mainly has to do with the fears of old white guys who would much rather, and I'm going to be blunt about this, there are a lot of old white guys who would much rather be fucking six-year-olds 
fucking young kids and who are so terrified of ever having that thought come up in their minds that they will do all sorts of things to you to keep that, that sort of thing from ever coming up in the world, even epistemically, even, even in terms of thoughts or societal means. They're afraid of themselves. And they're afraid of their own urges and the power of those urges. And out of that framework comes an entire body of law and a hegemony that affects all of us. True. What does hegemony mean? <laughs> Please, really, because I, I always get, I, I can't get it. It has to do with bushes. <laughs> hegemony is, is essentially uh, a, a control, but it's invisible control. Hegemony are those represent means, those forces which control you that are forever invisible and impalpable to you. Um, my, my favorite example is not the right one, but um, it, it's the panopticons. Anybody here know what that is? Um, panopticon. You build a prism which, which consists of open rooms that are, that are, are built around the guard tower in the middle, and the guard tower has one-way window, one-way mirrors around it. So the guard can see out, but you can't see in. You're always being watched. You can always be watched by the guard in the guard tower. No matter what you do or where you are, the guard can always see you, and you can never see the guard now. You have no way of knowing whether there's a guard in the guard tower or not, because you can't see them. For all you know, there's no guard there. That's hegemony. When you act as if something was going on, whether it's going on or not. Okay? And we act as if there was a certain law in place for gender, a certain law in place for behavior. In some cases, that is what makes society go. In other cases, it's what keeps us in our place. And it's important to tease out the threads, to discern for yourself, to determine for yourself what, which one is one that helps society function and which one just serves to keep you in your place. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll remember that now. Thank you very much. Okay, you have a drink. I'll have a drink too. You think that's water in her glass, don't you? I haven't had a drink for. It's almost 40 years now. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I do plenty of drugs. I just don't do alcohol. Let's make that clear. I'm clean, but I am... Ooh.
Yeah, that's a good one. That's why I passed it over there. What was one of the most significant turning points in your own journey to self-acceptance? Getting the fuck out of Scientology. <laughs> Scientology is so weird. They, well, you know that. You live in the heart of Scientology land. That's what this is here. Um, but they believe that uh, you, you, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. And they call that soul a phaeton, an immortal spiritual being that has nothing to do with matter, energy, space, or time. And... These immortal spiritual beings have no gender. How could they have a gender? Right? And I thought, oh, yes, that's exactly what I am. And um, no, because they, they turn that around <laughs> and then say, yes, but, you, but, but, but no gays, no lesbians, um, no perversions. Talking about, and it's that kind of cognitive dissonance uh, happens over and over again in Scientology. When I got out, it took me years uh, until I could realize I didn't need another person's rules, laws, or answers by which to live, I could discover my own. That took years, but that was a big step in my journey to self-acceptance. Yes. significant turning points in your own journey. The self-acceptance, the most significant point in my journey to self-acceptance was Baini. Baini the butcher. He, well, never mind. Uh, no, it was actually, I, I came out, I, I protected myself against losing my job in transition by opening my own business. And I didn't have any money, but I, I found I, I scraped up $250, which was the first month's rent on the store. And I did something which was ridiculously easy for, for me to do. We, we opened a stereo repair shop. I figured it would tide me over during transition. Um, and I came out of this joint one day, and there. this was right after... Reagan had closed the mental hospitals uh, here in, in mm -hmm. California. And all the folks who had been in those mental hospitals were now out on the street. And Santa Cruz is a great place to be if you want to be out on the street. The climate, perfect Mediterranean. There we were. And out of, sitting on the stoop in front of my store was a young, was a young psycho. I'm using that term specifically um, because 
certain kinds of psychotics and, and schizophrenics are very, very sensitive to other people. And they can frequently tell what you're thinking about or um, they, they can tell you know, deep things about you just by looking at you, by being near you. Um, this kid looked up at me and he said, Holy fuck, what the hell are you? You hurt my head, man. You know, I, I was wearing a, a, a jean skirt and a, a leotard top. and you know, I had hair down to here. I had much better hair then than I have now. Um, and, and I looked at it. Here we were, and there's this confrontation in public with this guy going, You hurt my head, man. What the hell are you? And, uh, you know, you've got one second, you know, your whole life passes before your eyes. And I said, quote, find out. <coughs> That's, that has since then become my stock answer to somebody who does something like that. You know, what the hell are you? Come on, find out. <laughs> and in that moment when, when I stood there with that guy, I realized, holy shit, who the hell am I? <laughs> and then I realized that the journey that I was on, this grand adventure, was only part of where the hell I was going. I mean, I, I thought at the time I was doing it, oh my God, this is the most important thing in the universe. I've got to get through this. But that's because you need the energy to be able to pull yourself through it. Then after you pull yourself through it, you say, oh, oh my God, I've finally done it. I'm fi I've finally become myself. My life's journey is over. And that lasts about a minute and a half. <laughs> Keep an eye on your watch. And, and then I thought, okay, what's next? You know, well, next was I went back to university and got a doctorate. And then after that it was, oh, God, it was so hard. You know, I wrote this dissertation. I went through all this crap, this ridiculous shit. I got my doctorate. Oh, my life is complete. <laughs> no, it isn't. So then I had to go on and become an artist. You know, yada yada. Every one of those is is another stop on the circus train, but the circus train keeps going, and it, your circus train doesn't end as long as you're alive. There are always more things coming down the track. There are new stops, more stuff you want. Holy shit! Now I want chocolate. <laughs> more than anything else in the world. You know, and then when I got the chocolate, I look around. From the pinnacle of chocolativity, I look around and I realize that, no, it's not. That having chocolate is not the end of the universe. There, there's more out there. And, and so it goes on. And that's, that's my answer to that, that's all. <laughs> are going to be filled with hate. Uh, it's the hate that we have to target. Uh, Michigan Women's Music Festival. Go, go, go do it. I, I'm, I never wanted to spend a week in the mud with bugs. Uh, I, I just did not. That was not my thing. 
it, I never needed, I never personally needed that space to affirm me being a woman. Um, there was a time when I needed affirmation for being a woman, and, and that lasted about six months uh, post my, my surgery, my bottom surgery. Um, but I realized that to, to the point where I needed a group of people to say, yes, you're one of us, then there was some, there was some flaw in me if I simply just couldn't say, yeah, I am. And what I discovered the flaw in me to be was, no, I'm not a woman. Um, thought I was, but I think that was based mostly on my rock-solid understanding that I'm not a man. Um, so I must be a woman, and so I, I went into the must be a woman, must be a woman, must be a woman. I am a woman, and then, no, I'm not. And that was dark night of the soul for me. That was terrible. Did you ever have anything like that? Like, where, where you thought you really got to the real you, and then, nah, not really. No, I think my students did. Talk to me. Um, no, I, this may be an anticlimax after what you're saying, though. Um, one of the courses that I taught in Austin when I was teaching there, it was a course about identity and about the fungibility of identity. And the about what of identity? Fungibility, the, the changeability of identity. Um, and, um, and about how we all perform different identities at different times of day, depending upon where we are and what we're doing. You know, we perform customer and we perform client, we perform uh, therapist, we perform uh, male person, M-A-I-L, we perform male person. Uh, you know, whatever job, you know, whatever societal role we're taking at the time, we're, we're performing that. And, and that was what the course was about. And one night, I was at home, and it was something like three in the morning, and I went to the refrigerator, and there was that much milk in the bottle. And I was just, ah, oh, shit. I, I gotta have milk. And across the, I was staying at that time in, uh, in temporarily in student housing. Uh, my, my home was being remodeled. And um, across the street was a 7-Eleven. There's always a 7-Eleven across from student housing in Austin, Texas. And, um, I went over there at three in the morning in my pajamas to, to you know, there's this glare of the floodlights and you know, the moths and mosquitoes are going around the lights. And I go in there and, and I go to the cooler and I get the milk. All I can think of is, oh God, fuck, I want to go home and drink this shit. And one of my students comes down the aisle and looks at me and says, Professor Stone. Who are you performing right now? <laughs> I was tired. I said, I'm not performing anybody or anything right now. I just want to get the fucking milk and go home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
I'm being signaled that we're starting to run out of time. Um, I was told 9 o'clock and then I was told maybe 9.15. John, which, do you, which are we saying it's going to be? Go to 9.15, it's up yeah. to everybody here. Uh, okay, so we, we, have, uh, we have about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes left. Um, I know one thing I wanted to say. Um, I, coming out of, of chemo and radiation, I, I, I didn't know that I'd be alive. I, I didn't know that it would work and um, that it would work for any longer than three months at a time. And so now here I am and I'm an elder in this community and I've been trying to figure out what's my fucking job now as, as an elder and the best I can come up with is um, basically what, how Gina introduced me. I, I, I want to be your auntie. I, I want to be your granny. Um, I, I want to dote on you. I want to encourage you. I want to give you context when you need it or ask for it. And mostly I want to say, please stay alive. Please stay alive. And the way you do this is you do whatever it takes to make your life more worth living. Anything. We're told that sex and gender exploration is not allowed, is bad, is evil, is perverted. Yes, of course it is. And that's why we love it so. But do that shit. Do it, do it, do it. And when you get to a point where, like Sandy was saying, ah, I've arrived, now I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a professor, but that's not enough. It's going to happen probably in your exploration of sex and gender. You're going to go, oh, now, now I've arrived. I am a woman. And, you know, you might want to look again. You might want to look at, okay, what kind of woman? You might want to look at, okay, now, what do I do as a woman? You want to take it further than simply identity. Please, do whatever it takes to make your life more worth living. There's only one rule you really need to follow in order to make a blanket permission like that work. And that's don't be mean. And this is important to say. Um, most of us have been threatened with hell. Uh, and what we're doing with our lives, with our sexuality, and with our gender is pretty much guaranteed to end us up in hell. I, it is! It is! And you know, I know, oh yes, all the fun people will be in hell. No! They will be, but they're all going to be at the end of pitchforks or have their guts splayed out over barbecues. It's not going to be fun. No, no, no. The martinis? No, 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 no. So, what do you do about that? And I, I, the only thing I could come up with, everybody on the way out of here will be, uh, if you, you'll see uh, 
nice usher types, handies, talks about shared commitment to radical politics, not just feminism, but anti-racism and anti-capitalism as the basis for trans women and non-trans women working together. While relations between trans and non-trans women have greatly improved, most political work today is not nearly as radical as that of the 1970s. Do you think it is possible to revive the radicalism of that time? Yeah. Fuck yes! <laughs> All it takes is you. It takes me too. It takes us to be that radical again, to make that kind of noise, to stir up that shit. It takes a lot of work. And we're being deliberately discouraged by our culture against doing it. So far, the attempts to discourage us have been very successful, but we can damn well fight against it. And we can and we will. If a man becomes transgendered to female and wears dresses, can he slash she perform as a top while wearing a dress and high heels? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yes, 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 I know many. Okay. <laughs> if a man becometh transgendered <laughs> and well, weareth <laughs> Where are his mother's drapes? <laughs> Top, bottom, these, 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 these are all optional. Yes, of course. Yes, you can, baby. Do it. Do it. See me afterwards. Uh, let me take your number. I'm very interested in the High heels and dresses. A couple of them in the front row right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, later, you mad fool. Okay, um, oh, there's one addressed to me. Should I grab that? Sure. Have you kept in contact with any of your former colleagues? Have you kept in contact with any of your former colleagues at Olivia Records? Yes. Let's go on. That's an ongoing thing? Um, my, uh, my contact, my relationship with, um, with my sisters and the Olivia Collective was a very personal as well as very professional thing. And uh, it's really our business. It's, uh, some of it is quite personal. I honor them and I love every one of them. And... Uh, and yes, I'm still in contact with some of them. And they have gone on to give up the record business, in which there wasn't much money, and uh, become a travel agency and put on uh, cruises for women, in which there is a great deal of money. And uh, they're much happier for me. That's a cruise to Mexico. No questions of your own? Uh, then I have questions of my own. Uh, 
Um, Roy, am I unprepared for that? What brought you to be an activist many years ago? Huh. I, I don't call myself an activist. I call myself an artist in service to activism. I don't think I've got the kind of uh, courage, uh, smarts, to be an activist. I, I equivocate. I'm a Pisces. I say, well, on one hand, then on the other hand. So I'm not that good at, let's go! No, no, let's go maybe this way, too. Um, so I've, I've, never, I've never really seen myself as an activist. I'm good at, like, you know, um, Licking envelopes, addressing envelopes, uh, marching, you know, I'll do that kind of stuff, but I, no. I do you consider yourself an activist? Yeah, cool. Uh, I, I'm, among a lot of other things, yeah, yeah. I'm an activist, but I'm an activist because I have to be. Because that's the only way I'm going to get where I want to go, is, is by actively encouraging mm -hmm. other people to, to do certain things. Is that activism? Well, for me, that's activism and helping people who need help, uh, being available, um, trying to heal people who need healing, trying to, trying to make, make um, signs for the people who need signs. Yeah, that, that I can do. Okay. <laughs> See? We've learned something tonight, too. How do you react to negative looks and statements? Badly. Caves me right in. Um, you know, someone gives me a stink eye. Uh, someone goes, hey, you fucking tranny. Uh, using it as a hate word. Uh, hey, look, it's a man. gets easier the less I'm attached to things. Especially like, hey, you fucking tranny. It's like, yeah, what? <laughs> um, it gets easier. Uh, keep yourself safe, whoever asked this question. Um, keep yourself out of harm's way, please. Remember I love you at moments like that. Go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aunt Kate says she loves me. And breathe and keep walking. Right. 
Why are transgenders killed just for being themselves? Good question. Boy, could I give a theological answer to that one? Because evil exists in the world. Why did the chicken cross the road? That was no chicken, that was my wife. How has the influence of trans, oh, exclusive radical feminists changed? Since the 70s, particularly in regards to me. Oh, we, get, we did that one, right? Yeah, but we can do it again. I can give a completely different answer. <laughs> Gotta be versatile up here. You're all right. Don't be versatile. Um, while Kate is looking for a new question, she has a number of books out. And I strongly advise, urge, threaten, <laughs> and otherwise cajole you to get those books and read every one of them. Gender Outlaw, Hello, Cruel World. Kate Bornstein is a Queer and Pleasant Danger. My Gender Workbook. Did I leave out anything? My new Gender Workbook. They, they, new there's, gender. there's a new version of it. Um, just came out a couple of years, about a year ago. Uh, I'm working on a new book, and can I tell, I just, I'm interested to see what you think of the title. Can Go I on. tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Go on, do it, do it. Nah, they're not interested. So. transgender activist that takes the screw in a light bulb? That's not funny! I know we met in front of that Harley Davidson, but the, but in the constructed version of how we met, it was when you told your story about the giant and the ring. And that, I'll let you tell it. I mean, you should, you have to tell it. It's your story. But that story defines what we're doing. I, uh, my dad took me to the circus, I was maybe seven or eight. And um, this was at Madison Square Garden in New York. And my favorite part was the sideshow. And my favorite person in the sideshow was the giant. And 
He was, his name was Olaf, the world's tallest man. And he was so tall. And I, little kid, way up. And he was selling rings from his fingers. For a whole dollar, you could get a ring that Olaf had worn. And I was looking up at him and looking up at him. And at one point, he bends down and he looks down at me. And he looks lovingly. He takes a ring off of one of his fingers and he reaches down and puts it round my wrist. <laughs> and I look at that and that's when I knew, that's when I knew I was a freak. <laughs> and that I'd have freaky family. that moment of identification when you realize who you are whatever that is when you realize you're a freak I had a moment very much like that after Kate told me about her moment of discovery you know and in that way we're all freaks we're all together in that we're all together with our freakish identities, our terrible identities. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, the more freakish we are, the more we are ourselves. And the more terrible our identities, the more in touch with our own power, the power that comes from the center of yourself, the more in touch with that power we are. And the more we can use that power as a force for change. But the first step is recognizing our own difference. Recognizing that we are freaks. That we are different. That we are whoever we are, each of us. It's a strange and terrible identity. And it's ours. And it's gorgeous. And it's powerful. And if there's a message that I want you to take away from tonight, it's that. And people try to tell you you're not. They try to tell you you're nuts. Or they try to call you out. And whatever ways they do that, what they're really doing is acknowledging your power. Acknowledging your specialness. And your job is to grow into that and be the best possible freak that you can. We've been trying for years. We're a little ahead of you. But we're waiting for you to catch up. And when you get there, we're waiting for you. You know, years. Years ago, I, I wrote a science fiction novel, which has never actually come out. It, it was bought, but we fought over rewriting it, and I, I chose to take it back. Um, it was a novel about the 70s, about lesbian separatism, and about, uh, about a war that went on, and about uh, five women who got together, who, who formed a power group in order to invent a new language and using that language to change the world. 
that language survived that time, although virtually nothing else did. And it was that way, the language was a way of calling out to others who could hear, who could hear that the echo of that strangeness in themselves. It's a long, weird story as to how they created that language. But this really happened. It was real, blood real, bone real, as real as you're sitting here tonight. They did that. And the language was a way of bringing people together. And at the end of tonight, um, I want to say something in that because it speaks to this, what we're doing. Are we out of time? No. Maybe it's time to do that. One minute. Yeah. I, I, I want to say on top of what you just said, and I, I think that's where I would, where you're talking about in terms of embracing your freakiness, step up, age into your freakiness, age beyond your freakiness into another whole kind of freakiness, that's what I would call trans pride. And that's what I think I would like to see everybody walking out feeling proud to be unique. Please. Feeling proud of your family, your trans family. Everybody who's fucking with gender is family. All right, if you're embarrassed by some of us, realize that some of us are embarrassed by you. <laughs> Have a great trans pride. Thank you, LGBT Center, for bringing us here. Thank you. Gentlemen, Sandy Stone and Kate Warnstein. <laughs> before everyone, before everyone heads off, you have witnessed a bit of history here this evening because this is the first time that these two amazing people have ever shared a stage, despite their long-standing friendship. So you are very special people this evening. Everyone, don't forget, we've got a wonderful um, reception and gallery opening going on over in the courtyard area right after this. Um, and don't forget, tomorrow, um, all day, we've got the, the festival portion of Trans Pride. We'll open the doors at noon. Uh, we will go till 9.30. We've got a fabulous... A variety show for you tomorrow. It's going to be wonderful. We've got Alexandra Billings. We've got Our Lady J is here this evening. D-Lo, Ian Harvey. We've got a very special surprise closing number that we're not going to say too much about. It says guest. It's a very special guest. So you got to come to see what's going on. Get here early. It's going to be packed, just like tonight. Raffle prizes all day long. We're going to have a lot of amazing things to give away. And don't forget, you want a chance to be on Transparent? All right, well, then come tomorrow. We're going to have a booth to uh, do open casting call, headshots, fill out your applications, and then who knows? You could be a star. So once again, our thanks to Kate and Sandy. They will come in and 
join us over for the reception. We're going to have a fabulous time. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you all tomorrow.